Let me read one more time the uh, the verse that we concluded with before we took our break out of section 108, verse 11a. And for this cause that men might be made partakers of the glories which were to be revealed, the Lord sent forth the fullness of his gospel, his everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity to prepare the weak to prepare the weak for those things which are coming on the earth. So this is latter day revelation to us that we might be prepared. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this plainness and this simplicity. And the best example scripture that I have that begins to explain this is found in the second book of Nephi in the 13th chapter. And I'm going to read, this is fairly lengthy, so turn to this in your scriptures so that you can follow along with me. Second Nephi chapter 13. And I'm going to begin, let's see, I'm going to begin at about verse 3. Yeah, 2 Nephi chapter 13, beginning at verse 3, it says, Wherefore, the things which I have written sufficeth me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. Wherefore, I shall speak unto you plainly, according to the plainness of of my prophesying for my soul delighteth in plainness for after this manner doth the Lord work among the children of men for the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding for he speaketh unto men according to their language wherefore I would that ye should remember that I have spoken unto you concerning that prophet which the Lord showed unto me, that would baptize the Lamb of God, which should take away the sin of the world. And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh then, how much more need have we, being unholy, to be baptized, yea, even by water? And now I would ask of you, my beloved brethren, wherein the Lamb of God did fulfill all righteousness in being baptized by water? Know ye not that he was holy, but notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh he humbleth himself before the Father, and witnessed unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him, in keeping his commandments. Wherefore, after he was baptized with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. And again, I showeth unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. And he said unto the children of men, Follow thou me. What beautiful 
words and how plain and simple that was. And Jesus himself knew of the importance of showing to the children of men the example. And he was holy. Nephi mentions this. And he was making that comparison. He was holy, and yet he was baptized. Who are we being unholy? Don't we have need to be baptized? This is the plainness and the simpleness of the gospel that I wanted to share with you. And that was just one example that that I came up with of the plainness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more, and then we can talk about it a little bit. Turn over to the book of Jacob there in the Book of Mormon in the third chapter. And I'm going to begin there at verse... uh, I'm going to begin, actually begin at verse 19. And I'm going to read down. i got kind of a long reading here too, so follow along in your scriptures. Jacob chapter 3, verse 19. Behold, my beloved, my brethren, he that prophesieth, let him prophesy to the understanding of men. For the Spirit speaketh the truth and lieth not. Wherefore it speaketh of things as they really are, and of things as they really will be. Wherefore these things are manifest unto us plainly for the salvation of our souls. But behold, we are not witnesses alone in these things, for God also spake them unto the prophets of old. But behold, the Jews, they were a stiff-necked people, And they despised the words of plainness and killed the prophets and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. And now I, Jacob, am led on by the Spirit unto prophesying, for I perceive by the workings of the Spirit which is in me, and by the stumbling of the Jews, that they will reject the stone upon which they might build and have safe foundation." But behold, according according to the scriptures, this stone shall become the great and the last and the only sure foundation upon which the Jews can build. Sorry, that was kind of a long couple of uh, readings there for you. But can can you tell me who is the stone? Jesus Christ says it's the only sure foundation is Jesus Christ. That's a pretty simple message when you think about it, especially if you're a builder, and that's kind of what I do for a living. I think about building on the cornerstone. You know, Jesus Christ, and we've got back uh, back at Buckner, we've got a church building that we built for vacation church school that has all of the the um, 
offices of the priesthood with Jesus Christ at the corner and all those things are listed out there so the children can learn those things. And, and the steps up in the ch- into the church are faith and repentance, and then the doors open, baptism of water and spirit. You know the picture uh, of the church. And we have an example of that uh, back at, uh, at Buckner. And that chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And what's unique about the chief cornerstone, and, you know, I talked earlier about the plumb line. Once you set that cornerstone, all dimensions are measured off of that point. If you look at it in plan, from to the right, to the left, up and down, and then vertically in the third dimension, all the measurements are taken off of that cornerstone. And they've got to be precise, and that's the standard. We talked about the standard earlier today. That's the standard right there that you build from. It's pretty plain, and it's pretty simple, just like the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The things that get complicated to understand are the things like the Jews. They wanted to understand, and they looked beyond the mark, not Mark. <laughs> Look beyond uh, the Mark, Michael. That's that's the beauty of the of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is simple. It is plain. It's precious. Um, whenever Christ speaks anywhere at any time, it's it's to bring clarity and vision and sight uh, to clarify. Never does he speak to bring about confusion or questions or doubts so you can be sure that things that bring questions and doubts and confusion that can't be from him because he's always there to bring light and understanding and clarity and uh, to bring and restore things so it's it's i've never seen that in scriptures where he's he's done otherwise or when he's spoken by prophecy it's always to bring understanding and light and clarity And isn't it interesting that even in that simpleness that Jesus spoke as an example, so he spoke in parables, and the parables emphasized the point that he was trying to get across to the people, but the parables had another layer of deepness, if you might might say it that way, or layer of meaning that his disciples had to inquire and study out so that they might understand it. Yeah, the parables are beautiful because they both reveal and conceal at the same time, depending if you're really searching or if you're not. And, and that's the, the beauty of, of, of Jesus Christ. It, it reveals uh, at the same time, it conceals or hides from the world because they're not really interested in it. Yeah, it, and it, so it takes a discipleship to understand that deeper meaning, which I think is a really a fascinating thing. Greg, over here. Back behind. <laughs> uh, just going back to the the verses that you read out of chapter 13, uh, my mind was drawn by one of the footnotes out of verse 4 that actually draws you back to chapter 11, verses 5 through 7. And I don't know why I missed it until now. But the plainness that uh, is being drawn back to there, uh, especially in verse verse 5, speaks about the plainness of Isaiah, and it says that Isaiah's teachings or his words are not plain to you, but they are plain to those who have the Spirit 
of prophecy. So the plainness, if we're using that cross-reference, is in either yielding to the instruction of the Spirit or rejection of the Spirit, which is where the downfall was of the Jews. The plainness was there, but they didn't want to yield to the enticings of the Spirit, and so they were looking for something more complex, something that would feed whatever it was that they were desiring, and so then the plainness was removed, and they were given things that there was no way on their own that they were going to be able to understand. Yep, you're spot on. Turn over to First uh, Nephi chapter 3. You don't have this uh, verse on, on your handout, but it, there's a great explanation here um, as we consider the plainness as it relates to the scriptures. What are we told about um, the inspired version? And what are we told about the fullness of of the gospel and what had transpired from the time of Christ up until the restoration of these things some plain and precious things were taken out weren't they who was the author of that pretty evident yeah When changes are made to the Word of God, it causes confusion. And we just talked about how Christ would have never caused confusion. He spoke plainly that those that heard might understand. Uh, Here in 1 Nephi chapter 3, start at verse 167. And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the foundation of a great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious. And also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. And all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore thou seest that after the book had gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And after these plain and precious things were taken away, it goeth forth unto the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters which thou hast seen with the Gentiles which have gone forth out of captivity, thou seest because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book, which were plain to the understanding of children of men according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God, because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceeding great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. And it's kind of hard to know where to stop reading there, but let's pause uh, with that. You know, we know that another aspect of the 
fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its restoration in these last days is to restore the plainness and those things that were most precious that had been taken out over the course of time. So uh, we indeed, saints, are fortunate to have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cherish it, don't we? And we, uh, we, ought, to, we ought to study it. I'm just, I, you know, I always think about it. I just don't feel like I'm a good enough student, and I haven't studied it enough. And we should all feel that way. And it should, I think, enliven with this, within us a great desire to study his word and to understand those deep things that are contained in there and the simple things. So, Everett, do you have a comment? Wait for the microphone, please. They talk about how they took out the plain and precious things, and too many often, too many people of the churches try to use revelations that you should not add to or take from this book. But John wrote that book long before the Bible ever existed. That warning is also given in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14, and Proverbs 30, verse 6. You wouldn't have no Bible. And they don't realize that they were things taken out. What we put in was taken out, and we put it back in. They Bless your heart, Everett, for having those memorized. That's that's a great argument for those that would say, hey, the Book of Mormon, we can't have that because the end of the Book of Revelation says that, you know, uh, the Lord Lord's not going to speak to us anymore. And if that was the case, then we wouldn't have any Bible going back to Deuteronomy because there's some similar verses there. Another thing is, I looked at the word Bible and dictionary. It means a collection of books. It's not the book. There you go. Same for the Book of Mormon. Very good. Thank you so much for that, Everett. That was great counsel. Last, uh, yesterday, I talked a little bit about with each of the days as I prepared our outline, a a hymn would come to my mind. And um, the hymn that came to my mind for today uh, has to do with... titled the the theme for this section to walk with me and what i was trying to i think try to understand is you know the lord speaks in plainness and simplicity he gives us the fullness of the gospel so that the plain and precious parts can be clarified and and can be returned and indeed we need to have a closer walk with him And I thought about the hymn, Thou My Everlasting Portion. More than friend or life to me, all along my pilgrim journey, Savior, let me walk with thee. Not for ease or worldly pleasure, nor for fame my prayer shall be. Gladly will I toil and suffer, only let me walk with thee. Lead me through the veil of sorrows, bear me o'er life's fitful sea. Then the gate of life eternal, may I enter, Lord, with thee. Close to thee, close to thee, close to thee, close to thee. Then the gate of life eternal, may I enter, Lord, with thee. 
let those words sink in for just a minute. That, of course, is uh, in both the blue and the, the gray hymnal, hymn 401 in the gray and 52 in the, the blue hymnal. And it's really a, a plea, if you will, for the closeness of our Heavenly Father and to guide our footsteps to that gate of eternal life is really what that, uh, what that hymn is about. That's, I think, saints, the desire of our heart, isn't it? To be with Him, to be close to Him, and to let Him guide us on this pathway in life. If you still have your finger there in 1 Nephi, the third chapter, turn over to uh, verse 214. And it says, For the time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and marvelous work among the children of men, a work which shall be everlasting, either on the one hand or on the other, either to the convincing of them unto peace and life eternal, or unto deliverance of them into the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds unto their being brought down into captivity and also unto destruction, both temporally and spiritually, according to the captivity of the devil of which I have spoken. A marvelous work and a wonder. And it divides, doesn't it, the wheat from the tares. And it's on one hand or the other, either you're convinced unto peace and life eternal, or you're given over to that captivity of the devil. That's our choice. Wheat and tares, sheep and goats, it's that dividing of the chaff. It's the separating of the righteous from the wicked. That's part of the plainness of our Heavenly Father. It's kind of hard to think about, to be honest with you. It's kind of hard to, uh, to digest and to think that there are those that might not um, accept the light and the truth. But there are. I mean, even after Jesus comes in his glory, what do we know about his coming in glory? We talked about it a little bit yesterday. Is it just going to be to the saints at the Buckner Restoration Branch that he's going to come? Or Nob Noster? Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. It sounds to me like everybody's going to know who he is, but not everybody is going to accept. I just find that so hard to wrap my head around. Michael? Yeah, in Matthew, I think it's the 24th chapter, where they were asking him, what is the signs of thy coming, you know, when you'll come and, and to, back to the earth and so forth, and he gives them lots of things to look for leading up to it. But one of the things he says, and as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and covers the whole earth, 
so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, that all will see it just as the sun covers, and you see it from rising the east and goes to the west. So, yeah, all will see. Nobody's going to no, miss it. Nobody is, yeah. <laughs> but isn't it amazing that some still won't accept him, that they'll be satisfied, I suppose, with uh, where they are, with their position that they've chosen. So pretty remarkable. That does explain the three glories, doesn't it? Good observation there, Everett. So when the light breaks forth, when the light breaks forth, what's being broken? Darkness? I think that seems to be the simple explanation. Just like the, uh, like Michael said, when the light separates from the darkness, covers the whole earth. Turn to um, the book of Mosiah. I may be getting a little bit off topic here, but what I thought about was uh, the breaking of the bands of death. And isn't that what uh, what happens when the light breaks the darkness? And in the 8th chapter of the, the book of Mosiah, it just says it so simply. It's verse 34 and 35 in that chapter. Mosiah chapter 8, verse 34 and 35 says, Yea, even so he shall be led, crucified, and slain, the flesh becoming subject even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up, in the will of the Father, and thus God breaking the bands of death, having gained the victory over death, giving the Son power to make intercession for the children of men. You know, I think about Jesus when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed there. And what's it say about the sweat during the time that he, he prayed? He sweat great drops of blood. The, I just can't imagine the anguish of soul he must have felt as he petitioned his father. And he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. He was willing to go to the cross. That's why he came. That's why he came to the earth, was to go to the cross. And he was willing to yield that. You know, he was a man. He was nourished, as Oakman said, by the processes of the earth. He ate and drank. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He was tired. He was just like like we are in those ways. And... For a moment, I suspect, he knew what was coming. I sure wouldn't want to go to a cross. I'd ask the same prayer, I think. You know, let this cup pass from me. But it was his Heavenly Father that sent him and wanted him to do this. And Jesus went. And because he did, he was able then to be resurrected and broke the bands of death. Isn't that a lovely story? Isn't that a lovely um condition that the Lord um, gave to us. Michael, do you have a comment? Yeah. 
they've actually proven today scientifically that man can bleed from their pores if they're under extreme duration, a long duration of pain and suffering, that it is possible for that to actually happen. Scientifically, they have, have proven that. So, again, bearing witness of the scriptures. So he had to be in severe agony and pain for a duration. Um, but it, it also says in there, and I think it's Mark, one of them says it better than the others, because it says, he being in great agony, prayed more earnestly. So he was already in prayer, but he prayed even more earnestly, being in such great agony. And it says, and the Father sent him an angel to strengthen him. He'll never leave us alone. No, never alone. Thank you. Let me ask you a question. We've talked about this everlasting covenant this morning. We talked about the plan of salvation. We talked about Christ going to the cross, um, his willingness to condescend and to do that. Um, Why do you think it was important for the Nephites to have the record with them as they left Jerusalem and they traveled then across the wilderness. They didn't know exactly where they were going at that point in time, but they had been commanded to leave or told to leave. And they did that. They went out into, uh, went a little ways outside of Jerusalem. And then um, Lehi told his sons they needed to go back and they needed to get the brass plates that Laban had. Why do you suppose that was important? Everett? So they wouldn't dwindle in unbelief. So they wouldn't dwindle in unbelief. Let's turn to um, the second book of Nephi, chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 28. And you'll notice, if you hadn't already, I've got written in my margin here this particular scripture that this is Nephi's psalm. This sounds so much like a psalm that David would have written that uh, that I attributed this to Nephi as his psalm. Um, 2 Nephi chapter 3, starting at verse 28, says, And upon these I write the things of my soul, and many of the scriptures which are engraven upon the plates of brass. For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and profit of my children. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works And my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. My heart sorroweth because of my flesh, and my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I'm encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which so with doth so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Nephi here recognizes the importance of the scriptures. He recognizes the importance of writing down all the experiences 
the prophecies and the counsels that he had received. And it's, as Everett said, it's so that the nation would not dwindle in unbelief. And as Nephi said here, it's so that he, it can be for the profit and the learning and the profit of his children. And so it's for this reason that Lehi sent his son back to get the brass plates. Okay? If you turn uh, back over to 1 Nephi uh, in chapter 1, And verse 61, it says, For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews, and also a genealogy of thy forefathers, and they are engraven on the plates of brass. And so in this scripture we see that he has a record of the Jews, and also the genealogy of his fathers. Now turn over to verse 118, which says, And I also knew that the law was engraven on the plates of brass. So they had the Mosaic law. It was engraven on the plates of brass. And turn over to verse 159, same chapter, chapter 1. And he beheld that they did contain the five books of Moses, which have an account of the creation of the world, and also of Adam and Eve, who were our first parents, and also a record of the Jews from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. And also the prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, and also many prophecies which had been spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah. When did Lehi and his family leave Jerusalem? Say that again. 600 years before the birth of Christ. Who was the ruler in Jerusalem at that time? Zedekiah. So here we have a very clear explanation of what's contained on the brass plates. He talked about the prophets, right? Um, He talks about the record of the Jews or their genealogy. Uh, He talks about... um, the, the history all the way up to the reign of Zedekiah. So they had a complete volume of that which they needed clear up to the time when they left Jerusalem. And the Lord provided that uh, for them so that they could use that to instruct their children. Why do you, just a sidebar, why do you think those plates were made out of brass? You're exactly right. You're on fire today, Everett. Good for you. Do you know what brass is? It's an alloy, right? It's an alloy. It's copper, and I think it's zinc, right? Copper and zinc? Tin? Nope, it's not lead. It's either zinc or tin. Then, oh, all right. So it's an alloy. It's got zinc, tin, lead, copper. It's non-corrosive. It doesn't doesn't corrode. 
And I think that's why they made those plates out of those materials and recorded these very important things on them because they wouldn't, uh, if you put it on paper, and I don't know if they had paper back then or not, it wouldn't last very long. I think they, you know, the, the Egyptians had papyrus paper, so that's hard to say. <laughs> papyrus paper. Um, they, oh, you're right. They did. They had their tours and their scrolls. Barb, he's coming. He was sleeping in the back. <laughs> uh, in addition to having the records, it also allowed them to have the language, both written and spoken, oh. so that they would also remain that way. And just as a side note. The Egyptians also had electricity. Well, I didn't know that. Yes, they did. They can prove it because the things that they find in the tombs that are gold and silver plated are so thinly plated. The only way that that works is to have it electrified to change the polarity and then dip it in quickly, the liquid, and it then adheres to it. They had batteries. That's fantastic. I had no idea. The teacher always learns more than the students, for sure. Michael? The the genealogy of their fathers also. I know for us it's probably pretty tedious to go through and say such and such, the son of such and such, who was the son of... But they, they traced it back because it's so important to recognize uh, who they were because of the promises that were made to the different tribes. Like, in this case, we know that they were descendants of Joseph through Manasseh and the, the promises made to Manasseh, and that that genealogy would be important for that as well as for priesthood uh, to be able to trace back that lineage. So there was a lot of reasons why those plates were of utmost importance for them to have. Very good. Thank you. Sister Wilson. Well, you're right in my wheelhouse because this is what we we teach in my class, but the Mulekites had no such record. And because of that, when the Mulekites and the Nephites met, they couldn't understand each other. So having the record gave them a basis for making their, keeping their language pure. At the same time, they had to be taught the word of God. They were trying to keep the law of Moses, but it wasn't quite right. And they had to be taught and they were perfectly willing to allow King Messiah to be the king over all of them and be that teacher and to follow the Nephites. But that was the reason for the record. And because they had the record, the Mulekites gained the record. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because the Mulekites came over without a record. And so they saw that the Nephite people, if you will, had that record. They could trust in that the truth that was contained in it. Greg? Also because of the record, it was a testimony to them of what God would do for them. And Nephi bore witness of that in 65 when Lehi said, God said, I need you to go get this record. And Nephi said, okay, because God said I needed to do it. I I know that he will prepare a way. And the only way that he knew that that existed was because there was previous witness for that having taken place. And then the Spirit also manifested itself to him, letting him know that that way would be prepared and that the witness previous to him was true. 
Yeah, thank you for that. It seems like somebody preached on that subject here one of the last two nights, Sister. One more thing we're missing is that they also went back not just for the records, but they have the interpreters. Yeah. Without those, any records they might find, like the Jaredites, they can't read. Wouldn't have been able to read them. And they needed those records. They needed the interpreters so that they could approach God and be able to understand. Thank you for that. Great, great observation. Yeah, Lisa, over here. I think that record is a testimony to us. I I think there's a lot about the Book of Mormon that that might be hard for some people to believe or to accept if we didn't have the record that these people were actually from Jerusalem, that there was that connection there. It's as much for us as it is for them, I think. And for the House of Judah, which we really haven't seen fulfilled in its completeness yet, you know? And I think that they're going to recognize the writings of the Book of Mormon you know, that came from some of it from the brass plates, you know, and they're going to recognize, hey, there's something here that is part of our ancestry and our history. So that it's pretty exciting, you know, to think about that. Just as a point of interest, um, I always teach my kids that, you know, I'm part Native American. It's been proven in my DNA. So the Book of Mormon is written to me. I'm part Jewish because my great-grandmother was Jewish. And therefore, the Bible is written for me. The doc- I, am RLD- I am part of the restored church, so the Doctrine and Covenants is written to me. And so I try to make it personal to them, but it's interesting how all of that comes together in our family. Yeah, that is, that's fascinating. You got it from every side. I do. You're very fortunate. And, and kind of on another interesting side note, so um, and we've run out of time so quickly. First um, Nephi chapter five. I came across this a couple of years ago. Verse two hundred and seventeen says, "And we did find all manner of ore, both of gold and of silver, and of copper. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded me, wherefore I did make plates of ore." that I might engraven upon them the record of my people. So, of course, this is the words of Nephi as he's talking. Um, and I find it very interesting that he records, we talk about gold plates a lot, you know, and, we, and rightfully so. But he also mentions silver and copper. So gold is a very malleable metal. It's very soft doesn't tarnish there's a lot of good qualities about it in today's and i i forgot my wedding ring this week so forgive me i was a point to my wedding ring in 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 modern jewelry what they do is they make an alloy of gold the carat value tells you how much gold is in it but it, they include silver and copper in that alloy to give it a little bit of strength because gold by itself is very malleable and can bend up very easily. Uh, interestingly enough, you can hammer out gold so thin that you can see light through it. So having gold plates made that can be scribed upon is not out of the question. 
You know, it's very a very plausible thing. And I find it interesting that Nephi records that silver and copper were found there as well. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they made their plates out of a alloy of those uh, of those metals. So I just thought that was just a very interesting uh, uh, sidebar for the discussion about gold plates. Um, we didn't today get to the Grove experience. I think uh, as I look around, I think we all think are all members of the church and probably have a, a pretty good under understanding of what happened there. But as you talk about a light breaking forth, what a great example, you know, to go back to the experience that Joseph Smith Jr. had uh, in the Grove. Let me just read that for you real quickly. This isn't an all-inclusive paragraph from church history. You can look it up if you'd like. It's in volume one, um, and I took this from page Nine. Uh, this is on page six of your handout. Uh, but exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink in despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such marvelous power as I never before felt in my being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. I no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which had held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And you know the reason why Joseph was there. He had counted on that promise that was found in the book of James, and he put his question before the Lord. And this was the experience that he had there in the grove first overcome with darkness because Satan obviously didn't want him to know the truth but then the power of Christ and the light that came down from heaven and the personages that appeared unto him the one pointing to the other saying this is my beloved son hear him that message saints is for you and I today this is my beloved son hear him listen to his counsel and listen to his words. We'll look forward to having uh, class again with you tomorrow. Thanks so much for being here and for all your comments. Much appreciated.